0: So, uh, back by popular demand, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Trinity. So we'll spend probably a couple of weeks more talking about the Trinity as we started that last week and uh, started plumbing the depths, and you, then you realize how many more depths there are and how deeper and deeper you need to go. Um, so, uh, Lord willing, we'll, we'll try to understand more and more that the word reveals about God. Um, But let's start with some review. Hopefully you can remember some of what we talked about last week. So uh, we talked about how God is simple. So can somebody tell me what we mean when we say that God is simple? What does that mean when we're referring to God? Okay, Chris. Chris. Without parts, yes. Do you want to try to expand on that a little? (laughs) Yes, yes. Yes, so he's not composed of anything. He's not made up of things, and he can't be divided into things. So when we talk about the Trinity, does that mean that we are dividing the Trinity into three parts of God? No. So if we believe, according to what Scripture tells us, that God is one thing, one being, then we can't divide that one being into three. So remember, um, we can distinguish the three persons of the Trinity, but we don't divide God. So we distinguish the being of God into three persons, but we don't divide the being of God. Okay, so from last week, then, if God is one, if he is simple, what is it that distinguishes the three persons of the Trinity? Can you remember? What distinguishes them? Tony? Their relationships. Okay, good. And so, what are those relationships between the three persons? Chris? The father is the unbegotten. Yep. The son is the only begotten father. The spirit proceeds from the father. Yes. Okay, so the relationships are father's the father, the son is the son, and the spirit is the spirit of the father and the son. So, yep, yeah. so the father begets. He is not begotten. He is the begetter. The son is the begotten. He is not the begetter. He is the begotten. So the Father communicates, I don't know what better word to say that, but He communicates the the divinity of of God. The Father communicates that to the Son. And then with the Spirit, we have the divinity being given to the Spirit from the Father and the Son. And remember, that is eternal. So that's where our brains can't comprehend that. But all of that is happening eternally. Um, so there's no point in time where the Son begins to be God or that the Spirit begins to be God. But always, forever, from before the foundation of the world, before time, God just was. And he, the Father was always giving the divinity to the Son. The Spirit was receiving it from the Father and the Son. Okay, so uh, I think that covers basically what we talked about last week. So we're going to um, dig deeper into this idea that we brought up last week. What is it that unites the being of God? And um, we're focusing on the oneness of God, and probably, Lord willing, next time we'll get into the, the distinctions more. So how, what does it actually mean to be three persons? But we are going to focus on what it means to be one, one being, one essence of God. So we mentioned this last week, but they are one in their activity, knowledge, power, life, and will. So we're going to dig deeper into what that means. That is maybe brings up questions that may be hard to understand. How can the three persons, the one being of God, be one in all of these things. It sounds like a contradiction to some verses in the Bible. So in John 14, 28, um, Jesus says, the Father is greater than I. The Father is greater than I. So, On the surface, you read that, and it sounds like maybe the Father is greater in his power. Uh, That's the kind of thing that you might conclude from John 14, 28. Or uh, there is 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2. So these are all verses that people bring up to argue against this point. First Corinthians 11 uh, it's not verse two, it's verse three. First Corinthians 11:3, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So it appears that there's this relationship of authority or maybe if you want to use the word power um, but you know, Authority is probably the better word there. Um, The relationship of authority, Paul includes, that the head of Christ is God. And so some people might conclude from that that the Father eternally is more in authority or more in power than the Son. Um, So that would mean then that... They would not be one in power, or maybe we could say also. Well, it's not maybe. We would say they would be also different in will, uh, if we're going to conclude. And so we'll 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 talk about that. And then there's the other verse that um, we talked about this subject back in December, uh, Matthew twenty four thirty six. Jesus says concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun but only the father. So it appears from that verse the son of god does not know something that the father knows. It appears that way. So those are three examples. Um, so John 14:28, 1 Corinthians 11:3, and then Matthew 24:36. So I understand if you are reading the, those verses, you're reading the Bible We want to be biblical, Uh, we want to believe what the Bible says, and we know, like, when it comes to the Trinity, when it comes to God, that logic isn't the solution necessarily, you know, because um, I think one of the fathers, Gregory, he said, if you were to try to come up with the Trinity, you, you wouldn't come up with it on your own, because it doesn't sound logical to us. It has to be revealed to us. Once it is revealed, you understand it is logical. So he's not saying it's illogical, but he's saying it's not something we would come up with on our own. So we read the Bible, we see these verses. We don't just want to say, well, logically that can't be. Um, So we will talk about the Bible uh, and other Bible verses, but we do need to stop and think about it logically. So what would be the problem If the Father really is greater than the Son in his being, Uh, John 14, 28, if that's what that means, the Father really is a greater person than the Son, what would be the problem with that? Or what if from eternity the Son really does eternally submit to the Father and he has a different will from the Father? So, so I'm saying, what would be the problem if, if this was false and this was false? And then the last verse about Matthew 24, 36, what would be the problem if the Son really doesn't know something that the Father knows? Well, the answer for all of those is uh, the Son is not God. The Son is not fully if he doesn't have the same knowledge as the Father. Because God, by definition, knows all things. God is omniscient. It's one of what we call the attributes of God. So the Son has to be omniscient. He has to know all things. Uh, The Son has to have the same power and authority as the Father. And He has to have the same will as the Father, which we'll get to in a second. So, when Jesus says, the Father is greater than I, we can't come to that conclusion that it means the Father has more power. Or when Jesus says, the Son does not know the day or hour, we can't come to the conclusion that the Son has less knowledge than God the Father. Okay, now, since we talked about that one in December, I'm going to hope that somebody remembers what we said about that one. How do we explain that verse, that the son does not know the day of his return? Anybody remember? Evan? Humanity. Humanity, yes. So he must be talking about himself as... Jesus and the human nature. So remember that when he becomes a man, he has a divine and a human nature, which includes a mind. He has the divine mind and he has the human mind. We don't have time to go over all that again because we did it in December, Um, but we looked at scripture and that's what scripture teaches. So when Jesus says he doesn't know the day or hour, he's speaking of his human nature not knowing. But at the same time, the eternal Son of God did know that day or hour. Well, another question related to that, though, is, well, why does he say the Son? Why does he use the name Son? And the response to that would be that there are places in the Bible, remember, that refer to the Son when it's even talking about his human nature. Can you think of an example? Remember an example that we went over? Mike? Okay. Yeah, he, so he did grow. I think that one refers to him as Jesus. Um, anywhere he's referred to as the sun, Yeah. The baptism? Transfiguration. Yes. There God speaks, to my son. Okay, yeah. The transfiguration, I think, is what you're talking I mean, about. A right there. Yes, there are multiple ones. Okay, well, I was thinking about Acts 20, verse 28. Actually, it doesn't use the word son. It uses the word God. Um, Acts 20, 28 says, um, shepherd the flock of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So it's referring to, it says God. It doesn't say Jesus. It says God purchased the church with his own blood. And so we have a biblical category to understand that sometimes the Bible refers to his human nature but uses the person of the son of God, okay? So the son of God himself is often um, referred to, and even though the verse might sound like it's talking about the eternal Son of God not knowing something, um, we have examples where his, he's referred to as the Son, but it's talking about his human nature. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay. Um, let me quote John of Damascus. Uh, when he talks about the Father being greater than I, so this is one of the fathers of the church, he says, if we say that the Father is the principle of the Son and greater than the Son, we are not given to understand any other thing except causality. Causality. So that's the explanation. That's how the Father is greater. So then he says, that is to say, we mean that the Son is begotten of the Father and not the Father begotten of the Son. The Father is naturally the cause of the Son. Okay? So, he's saying that's how we have to conclude. That's the only way we can understand that verse. The Father is greater than I can't mean the Father has more power or authority. It has to mean he's greater because he is the one who begets the Son. He's he's the causality, the eternal causality, remember. Um. And so, that's one way to explain it, in the sense of the Father's greater than I. Uh, But then those other verses, we can understand them to talk about his human nature. So, when it says, the head of Christ is God, we say, yes, that's true. Because when the Son of God becomes man, takes on a human nature, he is submitting his human will to the will of God. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, but the will of God is the eternal th- three persons, and they have the same will. Yes, yes, I know. Yes, but it's it's true. So it's just talking about the human nature submitting to the divine will, and we see that we see that at, at Gethsemane, that his human will is being submitted to God's will. Okay. So those are. Um, that's the. The more trying to look at things logically to how to interpret those verses, it can't mean that this is wrong. But you might be wondering, though. Well, prove it to me in the Bible. Prove to me that these are all the five aspects of the one being of God. So that's what we're going to look at now. Overall, there's one passage that I think is, shows us this in John chapter 10. Uh, you can turn to John 10. We're kind of jumping around different verses in John 10. Uh, But in verse 30, Jesus makes the statement, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Well, that's pretty clear there. Uh, the, The Son is one with the Father. He doesn't exactly say, though, in that verse that they are one in all these things, but we'll we'll look at other parts of the Bible. But um, even in John 10, you can look at verse 18, uh, talking about his life in John 10. He says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So, by what authority does the son raise up his life? Well, he says, by my own authority. But where did he get that authority? From the father. This charge I have received from the father. So, he has the same power as the Father. So, we think of this the same way we think of him being begotten of the Father. It is from eternity. How can can he have all the same authority, and yet it was also given to him by the Father? Well, it's been eternally granted to him as being God. So, he has um, the authority of God, the same authority as the Father. And uh, then go down to verse 38. Um, He says, well, verse 37, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. So what's the reason that he gives that he's doing the same works as the Father? It's because the Father is in him and he is in the Father. So there in John 10, we have at least that they have the same power and that they have the same activity. They do the same works because they are the one God. Okay, let's look Let's look now, let's go through these one by one. So let's go to John chapter 5 and see that they have the same activity. John 5, starting in verse 17. John five seventeen, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Then verse 19, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord But only what he sees his Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So, this claim that Jesus is making is a claim to be equal with God, okay? To be God. So, when he says, My Father is working and I am working, He's not saying, here we are doing different things at the same time. No, he's, he's saying that they are doing the same works. And he explains that in verse 19. Um, he's not doing anything of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the, Son, the, whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Okay, so that last statement is I think the key that he is doing the very same things that the father is doing. Not just learning from the father, not just copying the father, uh, watching the father do something so then he goes and does it. No, he's saying whatever the father does, everything that the father is doing, that likewise, at the same time, the son is doing. Okay, so then we see examples of this um, described in Scripture. So with creation, with creation, God says in Isaiah 44, verse 24, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. So who made the world? It's very clear here. Only the Lord, only God. Nobody else could help, can help God. And yet, what do we know from the rest of the Bible? We know that the world was created through the Son of God. We know that the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters and gives life to the world. And so there we have an example in creation, how they are one, they are doing the same activity of creating the world, and yet it's the three persons doing the same activity. So God alone created the world. Uh, we also have the same thing with God's providence and God upholding the world. Um, so it's the Father, Matthew 6, 26. Um, I think this is about the Father caring, uh, feeding for the um, birds. Yeah. So Matthew six twenty-six. look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So it says, the Father feeds them. And yet the Bible also tells us that in Christ all things hold together. That's Colossians 1.17. And Hebrews 1, 1.3 says, he upholds all things by the word of his power. So who's upholding the birds? Who's upholding the plants that feed the birds? It's the Son, and yet it's also the Father, and also the Spirit. Uh, Psalm 104, verse 30 says, When you send forth your Spirit, talking about plants, creation, Uh, when you send forth your Spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. So here you have three verses. Um, The Father upholds all things. The Father feeds the birds, and the Father takes care of the plants. And yet the Son also upholds all things, and it's the Spirit who renews the ground and, and is sovereign over creation. So creation and providence. So there are two examples of how Father, Son, and Spirit are working all things. So they are one in their activity They're all doing the same work. And we'll talk about how they're differently described as Father, Son, and Spirit. We'll talk about that next week. Um, But they're doing the one activity together. Okay, next, uh, let's look at the knowledge and power. These things go together. Uh, Let's go back to John chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 20, Uh, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. So, the Father shows the Son everything that he is doing, and we saw the same thing in the, the verses before that. So, The Father, as he is sharing his divinity, his godness, he is sharing the knowledge. and That knowledge is eternal, okay? This this eternal giving of this knowledge that they're sharing together. Uh, With God's power, this is similar to the the creation. Um, In Colossians 1.16, it says about the Son, all things were created through him, and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Let's look at one more in John chapter 10. This is about us. This is about salvation. The Father and the Son have the same power to save us. John chapter 10 28 and 29. 28, he says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So are you in the Father's hand or are you in the Son's hand? Uh, who's, the, who's the strong hand that will hold on to you so that you will be saved? Uh, well, he says both because um, they're, they're both doing it. They both have the same power and ability and activity of holding us together in their hand. So no one will snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says, and no one will snatch them out of the Father's hand. Uh, so it's the same authority power that they, they share it in salvation. Okay, let's go to life. So number four, life. They share the same life. Uh, John 5 again, go back to John 5. Uh, now we're on verse 26, John 5:26. John 5, 26, for as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. So that's the one that we bring up, I've brought up many times to talk about how the son is begotten of the father. So all of this, all of these other things come from this same idea. The son has life of himself, but where does that life come from? It's given to him by the Father from eternity. So the same with everything we've been talking about. Um, so what about the spirit? Um, well, the spirit is, by definition, the spirit of God. And what is what does the word spirit mean? Somebody tell me. Breath. Breath. What does breath mean? Do dead people breathe? No. So breath is life. So the breath of God is the Spirit of God. We'll talk about that more in detail one day. (laughs) Um, But the breath of God is what we mean by the Holy Spirit. Um, So, by definition, the Spirit has to have life, and the Spirit has to have its life from God, from the Father and the Son. So, um, that is why then the Spirit is described as the one who gives life. Because he He is the life of God, and we could say it that way. So, in Psalm 33, verse 6, it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth, or the Spirit of His mouth, all their host. Um, so, a lot of people see the, the Trinity in that verse that the Lord makes the world by the Word, the Word, which is the Son, and by the breath of His mouth, by the Spirit. Okay, well, let's focus on the last one. Personally, well, I, yeah, I guess I should say, I can say this. Of I think this is the hardest one to understand. Um, and we're going to have to talk next week about what it means to be a person, because this is what's hard for us to understand, is how can you be a person without having your own will? So here's the claim, the claim that we're making is that scripture tells us that the Spirit and the Son have the same will as the Father. They are of one will. And we don't mean by that that there are three wills that always agree, but that there is only one will. That's what it means. Because the definition of being God, of of being, is that you have a will. Okay? So if you have three wills, you have three beings, uh, which would be three gods in this case. So I know that's hard to understand, um, but we'll we'll try to look at some scripture that tells us that there is one will um, among the Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, maybe you're in John five already, but John five twenty-one, John five twenty-one, says, "As the Father raises the dead." and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. Okay? So the Son gives life to whom He, the Son, wills. Okay? Now go down to verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge... And my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Okay, so the son says there in verse 30, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, maybe the question comes up in your head. Well, doesn't that say that the son has his own will? but he's deciding not to seek his own will. That's a good question. Um, um, oh, I, um, hold that thought. I jumped ahead. <laughs> um, let, me, uh, let me read. This is uh, Joel Beakey. He says, based on verse 21 and verse 30, how can Christ give life to whomever he wills but do nothing except what his Father wills. The text presses us to the conclusion that the Father and Son share one divine will by which they choose with perfect freedom and perfect union. Okay, so how can Christ give life to whoever he wills and at the same time do nothing except what the Father wills? So, that's what verse 30 is saying, that the Son does nothing except what the Father wills. Uh, And yet, verse 20, was it 21? 21 says the Son has a will. So, Biki is concluding that that means they're sharing that one will. Okay. I told you to hold the thought, um, so let's go to John six thirty-eight, 38, um, which is similar. Uh, John six thirty-eight says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So that's where I had uh, jumped ahead. Um, but it's a similar verse where it says it seems to say that the son has his own will, but he decides not to do his will, but the will of his father. Here's what, uh, here's how Gregory of Nazianzus, the church father, answers that. He says John 6:38 30, does not mean that the son has a special will of his own, besides that of the father but it means that he does not have a special will. Okay? It means he does not have a special will. So that the meaning would be, so, quote, this is a paraphrase of what Jesus is saying. The meaning is this. I have come not to do my own will, for there is none of mine apart from what is common to me and to thee. Jesus, so this is Jesus. For as we have one Godhead, so we have one will. Okay, I'm going to read that again. Um, So it means he doesn't have a special will because it says, I have come not to do my will, for there is none of mine apart, apart from that which is common to me and to thee. For as we have one Godhead, so we have one will. So this is kind of how I uh, come to when I when I uh, trying to study these things. I always default towards the church fathers because they spent a lot of time studying these things. Um, they were the ones fighting all these battles over the Trinity, and they figured out how to explain, uh, you know, as best as we can, the Trinity. Um, so my my approach is to say, okay, let's let's humble ourselves, and instead of coming and saying, well, Gregory, that makes no sense, uh, say, okay, what is Gregory trying to say, and what is the Bible trying to say? So um, so they are they concluding that. It is important to have one will in God. That, that, that does imply three gods, if you have three wills. Um, so, how do we interpret these verses? Well, it has to mean, I haven't come to do my own will because I don't have my own will. So, that's, that's what they're saying. That's what they're concluding. So, that's how we come to John 6, 38 and then the other one in John 5. Um, I'll try to read some other things real quick. Um, so just to prove to you some other people who thought it was important that there was only one will. This is the second Helvetic confession. This is a guy named Heinrich Bullinger, a reformer. Maybe you've heard of him. Um, he says, We condemn all heresies and heretics who teach that the Son and Holy Spirit are God in name only. And also that there is something created and subservient or subordinate to another in the Trinity. And that there is something unequal in the Trinity, greater or less. Something different with respect to character or will. So according to Bullinger, can't have different wills. Um, John Owen, it is true, the will of God, Father and Son and Holy Ghost is but one. It is a natural property. And where there is but one nature, there is one will. Okay? So one nature or one being of God, there has to be one will. Uh, Gregory of Nyssa, a different Gregory. There is one motion and disposition of the good will, which proceeds from the Father through the Son to the Spirit. So, if you're asking, well, how are they three persons? Lord willing, we'll, we'll get to that next time. Now uh, We're out of time, so let's, let's pray. Lord our God, we do want to understand you and your word, and we understand uh, that we uh, study you who are far greater than us. Your thoughts are far higher than our thoughts. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would give us humility in understanding your word, and that you would also enlighten us. We need your revelation. Uh, We need your illumination. And so we pray for your help. Help us to be guided by your word. And uh, we pray, Lord, um, for uh, more and more understanding and um, that all of these things would lead us to worship. Worship and know you, the one true God. Uh, Worship you as the one who has... Revealed yourself as Father, Son, and Spirit. Help us to love you. We pray, Lord, that our hearts uh, would grow in love as we come to worship you uh, in a few minutes this morning. We pray uh, through Christ. Amen.